welcome to you this morning and say that it's great to see you here. Uh, we trust that this morning already as you've worshipped God together and as we've done that, that you would feel uplifted and that during this service you'd be encouraged and empowered in your uh, walk with God. We want to welcome especially the families of the Crows and the Weekses who are here because they're having two of their children dedicated this morning. So welcome to the Weekses and the Crows family. Let's welcome them as well. It's great that you're with us. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll be having their dedication together. So that would be great. Just want to point you to the news sheet. We have a great news sheet that's put together every week and there's all the information that you really need to know. Um, we uh, have a quarterly church meeting coming up soon. On the front too you'll see that uh, we have Grant Norsworthy who's going to be here on the 22nd, Saturday the 22nd for a More Than Music workshop um, which if you're a music person or worship leader, you're invited to. But on the Sunday, he'll also be speaking here on Sunday morning. So he's a musician who's passionate about worship and uh, he'll be speaking in the morning service. So it's great. Uh, the, today is the day to really get your email, to email something off maybe this afternoon, just something by way of thanks to God. The in instructions are under the heading Thanksgiving service on the inside left um, part of the news sheet and we're just asking for our Sunday uh, of next week, the Thanksgiving service, for you to just take a time to write a hundred words of thanks for this church and what God's been doing in your life while you've been a part of this community. Um, also want to let you know the Enquirer's course is being offered again just over two nights and this would be for you if you've been coming along and you um, are not yet sure about whether you want to become a Christian and you want to find out what's involved in that. It's also for people who have become Christians and want to be baptised. Um, and it's also for people who are wanting to know about church membership as well. So if that's someone for you, just put on a blue card, which is inside your news sheet as well. I'd like to be part of the inquirers course or sign up at the desk or just let me know. Uh, the blue cards in our news sheet are just for you to uh, fill in at your leisure during the service and uh, we'd love you to complete those and we'll ask you to put those in the offering at the end of the service. So it's great that you're here. Today's the last day on uh, 1 Timothy and we're looking um, together this morning at guarding what God's given you. So if you have your Bibles, it would be great to turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we're looking at guarding the good things that God's given you in your life. And last week, you'll remember, we looked at uh, contentment and how to fight discontent in this world. And we sort of uh, went from chapter 6, we started at verse 3 and went to verse 10. And then we skipped down to verse 17 and 19. So today, we're picking it up at chapter 6 and verse 11. Then we're reading to verse 16, and then we're dropping down to 20 and 21. So I'll lead you through it as we go anyway. Let's read this letter, or this part of chapter 6, from verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. And then from verse 20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in, doing, and, and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. And Paul finishes this letter to Timothy. And this morning we look at just what that means. Paul saying to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Why don't we pray together as we uh, gather this morning, God's people, his church. God, we come to you full of praise and thanks for who you are. God, we lift up our hearts in prayer to you. God, you are the blessed and, and only ruler. You're the king of kings and lord of lords. Oh God, you alone are immortal. And God, you live in unapproachable light. You are pure. You are sinless. You are holy. And God, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to give you honour and praise this morning. God, we thank you that you have sent your son so that we who were sinful and unworthy, who were far off from you and enemies of you, alienated from you, dead in our sin, through your son and his death, you have declared us right and holy and pure, not through what we've done, but through your grace. And so to be able to come before you, God, this morning and know that in your eyes, in Christ, we're forgiven, justified and set free, it just brings us such great joy. God, we realise that you have transformed our lives and changed us and you've placed us in a spiritual family, in a spiritual home here in this place. God, we thank you for that. We praise you that we can encourage one another and spur one another on and, and live this life here on earth while we wait for your return, while we wait until we pass from this life into the next, into the eternal life which you've promised for all who trust in you. God, this morning, thank you for all you've given us. We pray that as you as we understand what you have given us, that we would live our lives in such a way that we would live obediently following the calling that you've given each one of us. Lord, some of us you've called to lead small groups. Some of us you have entrusted with kids and family that we can care for and love. Some of us, God, you've called to be examples in our workplace. And, and God, the calling that you have placed on our lives, help us to fulfil that to the full. 
until our lives end or you come again. And God, we pray that this morning as we open your word and as we, as we worship you together, that we would be encouraged to run the race with perseverance and to continue on for your glory. God, this morning we pray for those in our family who um, are facing all different kinds of challenges. Lord, we lift up people this morning who are, are feeling um, uh, sick and who would just love your healing touch. Lord, we pray for uh, Ron and Ada Jones and we pray for Ron. We just ask you to heal him and, and bring about a real healing in his body, we pray. Lord, we pray for the Herbigs as uh, little Alyssa has been sick and we just pray that you would really bring healing to her. Lord, for others that we know now, we just want to lift them up in these moments and cry out to you, God, for healing and for strengthening in these people's lives. Just hear these prayers we pray, Lord, as we lift them to you quietly now. And God, we pray for our, our world. There's so many people who are so far from you in our world and we see the effects in governments and, and in, in places where such oppression is taking place. And we just pray for Congo where there's such unrest at the moment. Lord, we pray for uh, other countries where there's hunger and injustice is rife. And Lord, we pray that as your followers, you would help us to do all that we can to make a difference. Lord, this morning, hear our prayer as we look to you for strength in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we want to ask uh, the Weeks family and the Crows to come up now. Why don't you just welcome them as they come up? now for dedication. What an incredible influence uh, families have on one another and uh, these two families have come to this morning to just before you um, express their love for Jesus and their willingness and desire to live for him in such a way that impacts the lives of their children and their kids. So we want to welcome Phil and Michelle and you've, brought, you've got Ben with you as well and this morning though you've brought Amelia who's going to be dedicated this morning. So we just want to welcome you and we want to welcome too Robert and Janita and it's great that you're here too with Jonathan and also Amelia as well and then you've brought little Eleanor here as well, at, oh, sorry, and Rachel <laughs> as well too. It's great that you're here and we want to welcome you as a family and we're looking forward to dedicating Eleanor as well. What, what these two families are doing is what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus. They brought him to the temple and they asked for him to be blessed and, we, and they're doing the same thing as that. And in, in doing that this morning, what these two families are saying is that Amelia and Eleanor, although they belong to... Uh, Phil and Michelle and Robert and Janita, ultimately they belong to God and God's entrusted these children in their care and they wanted to recognise their responsibilities to God to bring these children up um, in a way that he would want them to bring them up and they're going to publicly commit themselves to fulfilling some of these responsibilities this morning and we're their church family, we're, we're their family and we want to also acknowledge uh, God's good gift in bringing these 
children into the world. And we want to, again, commit ourselves as a church to encouraging, supporting uh, children in our, in our midst. And we want to encourage and uh, look out for kids and pray for them and bring them up. So as we come to this important moment this morning for these two families, let's read some words from Scripture about children. And this is what it says in Mark uh, chapter 10 and verses 3 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. You know, he was deeply mad. He was almost angry at them. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. And then Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 6 says these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Strong words of encouragement to train and teach our children and strong words that show Jesus' value of children. So it's great that we're doing this this morning. As we come, why don't we pray uh, for, to God giving thanks for the wonderful birth of these kids and for their lives. Let's pray. God, this morning we want to praise you. You are the creator of everything, God, and you give us life and you give us breath and you give us each new day. And God, we want to thank you right now because we have Amelia and Eleanor. God, they've been born and they've come into the world and we thank you for what a miracle their birth has been and their, their lives have been so far. God, what precious gifts they are to their family and to us. God, thanks for all the good things you've given to them and for all the great things that you give to us through them. Oh, Lord, these two little baby girls, the incredible potential that lies ahead of them in their lives, the unlived days, we thank you for them. And we pray, giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You're doing great, you guys. Isn't this wonderful? They're all... I won't go too slow, though. I'll I'll keep moving along. But you're doing a great job. I'm going to ask you some questions together now as parents and if uh, I want you to respond we do if you agree to these words so Phil and Michelle and uh, Robert and Janita do you thank God for the gift of your children and do you accept the joys and the responsibilities of parenthood promising to love and to care for them we do do. do. great And do you promise to bring up your child within the Christian community and to share with her your own faith and trust in Jesus? We do. Great. Now, I want to say something just to the the kids down here, and I'm going to ask you guys, and I'll, I'll go over here first of all, and I'm going to ask Jonathan and Amelia and Rachel, 
let me ask you guys, will you try and be really nice to your sister and love her as she grows up? Yes. Great. Good on you. Well done, guys. And Ben, will you try and be really good to your sister and love her as she grows up? Yes. Yeah? Oh, well, do your best anyway, okay? <laughs> good on you, Ben. And now church, I hope you'll be more responsive. No, it's great. Um, if you agree, will you answer, we, we do. Do you promise to offer uh, to Amelia and to Eleanor and their families your love and your care? And will you join with their parents in sharing your Christian faith with them whenever you can? We do. Great. Why don't you stand as we pray um, as a result of these commitments that we've made. Let's pray. God, we pray for the parents who have made these promises this morning before you and before us. Lord, we pray for these children and that in these families, these two families, the Weekses and the Crows, that they would know your love and your power in their lives and in their homes. And God, we pray that you would take all that we offer to Amelia and to Eleanor, our care, our wisdom, our love, our mistakes, and, and through them, God, would you reveal yourself. God, we pray for their futures, for the experiences that they will have in their lives, for all the things that they will face. And through them, would you speak to them your gracious word. And God, as they grow up in body and in mind and in spirit, would you lead them by your Holy Spirit and bring them safely through childhood and through youth to a place where they declare that you, Jesus, are Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, Phil and Michelle, let me... Yes, thanks. Take seats. Let me take Amelia. Great. Okay. Hello, Amelia. Let me just ask you some questions. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll ask you the questions. Now, Phil and Michelle, what have you named this beautiful baby? Amelia. Amelia Grace. Amelia Grace. Well, let me pray for you, Amelia. Amelia Grace Weeks, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Great. Well done, Amelia. <laughs> Good. And Robert and Janita. She's asleep, is she? Oh, isn't that lovely? Hello. Look what's happening. Don't miss this moment, Eleanor. Now, Robert and Janita, what have you called your child? Eleanor Ruth. Eleanor Ruth. Let me pray. Eleanor Ruth Crow, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, may God bless and strengthen you as you seek to encourage them and build them up as they grow up as children. And just before you go, I want to 
give you both a certificate so that you'll be able to remember this day. Amelia Weeks and great stuff, you guys. And Eleanor Crow, there you go. God bless you guys. Great. America has a new president, hey? Did you catch that piece of news this week? Uh, Barack Obama, I, th I think he's just 47 years of age, is that right? 47, 48? And, but there's one significant thing about Barack Obama and he's the first uh, black president of the United States of America. And as I heard the reports this week and as I heard people uh, talking, as I watched the images of Obama, you know, accepting um, his election as, as president, I was reminded of a speech that happened um, many years ago. Um, in fact, it was one that I had written down when I was just 18 years old. I found it and looked it up and I put it, I put it up. You know how some people are putting... Well, when I was 18, some people were putting, like, Boy George on their wall and, you know, all these silly, crazy things. I, I put up this speech on my wall. I framed it and everything. And uh, it, it, was, it was a speech that was delivered on the 28th of August, 1963, at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it was a speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave. And in, in this speech that he gave, he said, I have a dream. He said, I have a dream, and part of his dream was that one day my four little children, he said, will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. And he said, this will be a day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, let freedom ring. And as I looked at that this, this week and I sort of wondered, how long does it take for a vision to sort of be fulfilled you know, how long does it take for a dream to come to fulfilment? And I just thought, well, at least 45 years, you know. If it took that long um, from the time when Martin Luther King Jr. made that speech and lost his life not so long after through assassination, then this week as, as an American president, a black American president was elected, I thought, yeah, some dreams take a long time to see fulfilled but it must have been a great joy for the American people as they saw that happen this week. Uh, I know I've been hearing since then how uh, this dream, a lot of people when you have a vision or you have a dream to see something fulfilled, a lot of people uh, don't want that to happen, do they? I mean, already we, we've, we know about Martin Luther King Jr. and how he was assassinated um, because of what he stood for and the hope that he, he wanted to see. But already we see Barack Obama now is someone who's received incredible death threats just because of the colour of his skin, it seems. And so he has um, had hundreds of death threats. And as a result, he's got this huge guard around him. So I just watched this week, apparently after he accepted the, uh, made his acceptance speech, the next morning he took his daughter to school and they showed, like, you know, I think there was, you know, like 30 or so security men, helicopter above the top, and, you know, here he is walking his daughter to school. And I think the, what, what's happening here, isn't it, is when someone has something that's important, people go out of their way to guard and protect it. And just like 
people now are wanting to make sure that Obama stays alive, uh, people guard what, what's important to them. So this morning as we start and we think about this vision and, and we've been looking at Timothy and, and we see that Paul has been writing this letter to Timothy and urging him to ha- how to have a church that will thrive in challenging times. And I just think as we think about what happened this week, how long it took and the struggle for the dream of uh, Martin Luther King to come about, It reminds me of what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do, was going to take time and hard work and a real struggle. But thriving and having a church that thrives should take time because I think Satan wants to destroy that and he wants to stop that at every possible way that he can. And then when you have a dream or a God-given sense that God is leading you in a direction, just like Paul had left Timothy there, the thing that we must do is guard that jealously. Like guard it with everything that we have. Just like people are now guarding Obama, Paul said to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. I wonder what you're guarding at the moment in your home. I mean, when you walk out of your home, what do you lock up? Anyone have a think about that? I mean, if... if there are things that you care about. What do you, what do you do with them? Maybe for you it's family photo that, that are so important that you put in a special place where they won't be damaged or no one could steal them if they broke into your house. It might be a vase that grandma gave to your mum and now you've got it in a special spot. Or maybe there's some jewellery that you lock in a safe with a special code and you don't want anyone to do it. Many people lock their cars, don't they, with little alarms and, you know, these big bars on the wheel, you know, steering wheel so that no one can break them. What do you think is so important in your life that you would guard it, that you would guard it? Well, here, uh, Paul, as he comes to the end of the letter, he says to Timothy, I, I, there are things that are so important that I want you to guard these things. Guard take care of, protect, surround, keep, you know, make sure that these things don't get taken from you. And the things that Paul wants Timothy to guard are what has been entrusted to your care, Timothy. Guard the things that have been entrusted to your care. Now, the word entrust, it's a banking term, you know, from way back then, uh, entrusting was when you put a, like a deposit into a bank so it would be looked after and cared for and you entrusted the bank with your deposit and, and it was in a safe place and cared. And one of the highest honours um, back in the time when the Bible was written was for you to be entrusted with someone else's possessions to look after while they're away and you'd take that very seriously. And here, the same words... Timothy, guard what has been entrusted and given to you in your care. Look after it. Make sure that you care for it. And I think what Paul is urging Timothy to guard is twofold. I think this morning it's the faith that he has personally in God. To guard that and also to guard the calling that Paul has given him right there at Ephesus. And as we come this morning, as we think about this, each one of us here who have come to faith in Christ have had something which is absolutely so precious 
entrusted to you. Faith in Christ, forgiveness of sin, hope, life eternal, which is for you now. And, and what Paul was saying to Timothy is guard what's been entrusted, the faith that you have, the hope that's in Jesus Christ, the gospel that you've taken hold of personally, guard that. That's the first aspect. So this morning, as you're here today, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I think God would be wanting to say to us today, don't take that lightly. Don't ever forget that what you have is something that God has entrusted you with. He's put faith in your heart and don't ever neglect that and take that for granted. Uh, second aspect, I think, which comes right out through 1 Timothy is that Paul had, been, had entrusted Timothy with a specific calling for him. And it's right through the book of Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. In uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, Command and teach these things. In, one, in, in chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels to keep the instructions without partiality. And in chapter 6 and verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. Paul had entrusted Timothy to stand up against the false teachers to resist them at all costs and to preach the gospel in all its fullness and in all its truth and all its freedom and life-giving grace so that the church would thrive. He had to stand up against the false teachers and preach and teach the gospel of truth without letting that be compromised in any way. Paul had a unique calling. But each of us who have faith have been given a calling. I mean, God doesn't ever call anybody just to have faith in God and do nothing with it. God has a purpose for your life. It's not just a glib little statement that we say. God saved you and has given you gifts and has given you things that he wants you to do. So this morning, as we look together and, and hear the words that Paul says to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Not only is it talking about your faith in Christ and your belief and trust in him, but it's guarding the things that he's called you to do and that you're doing. Make sure you don't neglect them. Make sure you don't take them for granted. But just like Paul was called to stand up against the false teachers and to preach the gospel in all its fullness, whatever God has called you to do, do it. Guard it. Ensure that you let nothing come between you doing what he's called you to do in this life. What is it for you? Is it leading a small group? And maybe you're leading a small group now and you're passionate about it, but someone's dropped out and they said it was boring, you know, and they didn't get much out of it. And maybe for you, you're thinking, maybe I'm not really, you know, going to go on with this. And maybe you, some people are losing heart and you think, maybe I should just give this up, but then you know that this is what God had really called you to do. Does guarding... What God's entrusted to you mean persevering here? Maybe for you, 
God has gifted you in singing and music and you've been given the opportunity to lead us in worship or to sing with all your heart or to play an instrument. And maybe you might know that this is what God has given you and, and given you for, to help us worship God together. And maybe you just feel like, hmm, I'm a bit tired lately, a bit busy lately. Or maybe someone on the team has hurt me a little bit and you're thinking, oh boy, I might give up. Ooh, words of Paul to Timothy, a word to you today. Guard what he's given you. It might be at your workplace. You, you, you know that God has got you there to be a witness and an example for him. And right now there are things that are threatening your witness or your, or your life there. And Paul's words to Timothy come strong to you. Not only the faith that you have, but the calling that he's given you. Don't lose sight of that. It's precious. It's valuable. Lives will be impacted if you use the things that he's called you to do. Lives will be changed. So don't give up. Don't give up. Guard what God has called you. These words come to me um, as pastor of the church. I think not only is God calling me to ensure that I continue to guard my faith personally, you know, to continue to live each day growing in him and, and, and praying to him and depending on him for my strength as a follower of Christ. But I also feel that God has really called me to be here to serve as the pastor of this church. And, and what, what it means for me is to actually continue on with a real passion and dream and vision of building a church that would thrive, not because all of you say, oh, we love Jonathan, isn't he nice, you know? I don't want you all to be people who love me. My goal is to, be to help build a church together where people will love God. And you'll say, you know, I'm growing in my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm learning, you know, when we talk about having a church that thrives, you know, you know some of the things we say? It's building a church where people obey God, whatever the cost. You know, I'd love to see our church to be people who say, you know, I, I want to do this in this area because of my sinful nature, but I'm going to choose to obey God, even if it costs me in denying to fulfil these desires that I have which are wrong. I'm going to keep obeying God. When it comes to, you know, gossip or, or temptation or other things like that, we'd say, no, we'll obey God. That's thriving. A, a, a church that thrives is when we trust God, whatever the circumstances. And it might be that you find in your life that you're hurt or that you face sickness or suffering. A church that thrives, people that thrive are those that in the midst of those challenging times don't give up, but we keep trusting on Jesus and we look at him whatever the circumstances. A church that thrives is a church that shares Christ, whatever the response Sometimes we, we know that if we do tell people that we love Jesus and if we try and tell people what's happened in our lives, some people will think we're silly, you know, backward or, or, or a bit strange. But a church that thrives is made up of people who love him and cannot deny him, but tell and share others about what's genuinely happening in our life and what Jesus has done for us, whatever the response. And finally, you know, a church that thrives, we have faith, Whatever the obstacles, 
You know, no matter what we face as a church, I'd love to see us as individuals saying, you know what, this might not be happening, that might not be happening, we might be struggling here or feeling that, but we have a God who we can have faith in and we will endure and persevere because we have faith no matter what the obstacles. So for me, I feel that's my calling to help us to do that together. And so when Paul says these words, guards what's been entrusted to you, I think not only in my own personal life as I pray and seek to live for him every day, but in my calling as pastor of this church, I want to be part of helping build a church that just thrives because we're so much connected to Christ. That whether it's cost, circumstances, whether it's faith or whether it's sharing our faith, that we would remain faithful and thriving. What's God calling you to do? What's he already started doing in your life? Guard it. Guard it. No matter what the cost. So the big question is, how do we guard it? Because maybe some of you have been feeling like started off strong, but now it's getting harder. Or maybe you, you know, have some questions and you're not sure how to really guard what's been entrusted into your life. And wouldn't it be great to know how we can guard it? Nothing Paul has done that. In this passage, uh, we looked last week and we looked at uh, contentment and in that passage, God had been talking about people who were false teachers who were, you know, teaching people but using them kind of to make a profit and then he talked about them and then he jumped a kind of passage, a few verses on to verse 17 to 19 and he talked again about the rich people and how they should live. Well, in between, Paul had actually gone and finished off the, uh, the chapter and finished off the book. And this final part, verses 20 to 21, is sort of a, a finish off again, a second finish. So let's look back together at how Paul would want us to be those that guard what has been entrusted by looking at what he says in 1 Timothy 11 and up 11 to 16. Here Paul's going to show us how we can guard what's been entrusted to our care. First of all, he says, the way to do it is to flee evil and live righteously. Paul says, you man of God, talking to Timothy, he calls him man of God, godly man, you that God has called and given a responsibility to. He says, flee from all this. All, all this uh, evil that's going on, all the people that are teaching false, false doctrines, all the people that are you know, um, having all these arguments and old genealogies and discussions that were leading people to division rather than unity in Christ, all, all the people that were living for themselves, you know, trying to get rich for themselves off God's people, flee from all of this, he says. Flee evil. Flee evil. I wonder what's evil in your life. I mean, personally, there are temptations and struggles and challenges that might stop you from doing what God's called you to do if you don't flee from them. I mean, could it be laziness in your life? Could it be pride? Could it be an attitude that always is negative and, and you just dwell there all the time? Is it past hurts? Is it tiredness? Are these things that can lead to being things that cause you to sin and trip up all the time? And Paul would say, flee from these. Flee from them in your own personal life. And then flee from them in the life of your ministry. Sometimes there might be people that are 
like the false teachers that Paul was saying in your life, opposing you strongly in your small group, opposing you in your ministry area and trying to cause you to take on little challenges and arguments where you start, instead of having a Bible study to edify one another, you might be getting off on side doctrines where you're arguing and feeling worse every week when you come. It might be in your own um, ministry at, at school. Maybe you're in a CRE ministry and you're finding that there are real problems that are stopping you from ministering to the kids. And rather than getting sidetracked from them, it's better not to even take them on, but just focus on what you're doing. I find this all the time in my role as pastor. I mean, there are so many people who think that the most important issue is one that we should focus on and pick apart together. And that we should have people divide over what they believe in all different areas. I think the important thing for us is to remember what's core and what we need to divide over. And they're the core things. I think there's very few things right in the centre of what we believe. But my role is to try and actually stop getting sidetracked on things that are not going to lead us to closer to Christ, not things that are going to divide us more. And I want to keep leading us as a church to focus on the things that will help us grow in Christ. So in your life, what does it mean to flee, to flee evil? Paul says, Timothy, that's what you've got to do. But the other thing is not just flee, not just run. Not, he's not talking about it, not, not just flee from all that that would sidetrack you, but actually live righteously. Live in a way where you are pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Not only run from some things, but run to other things. How do you do that? How do you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love and endurance? I think um, there's been lots of different studies on different churches of all different sizes and shapes and big and small and all that. And you know what they've found? The one biggest factor in growing in righteousness is... Just reading this, the Bible. Uh, And they say it's not just reading it um, kind of like you tick it off that you've read it today, but it's reading it with an open heart where you're asking God to speak to you through it. And when you actually put into practice the things that you learn. So there'll be many people that can read the Bible through five times in a year, but not ever sit back and say, God, what are you asking me to do in my life as a result of this? This year we've encouraged you to read through the Bible in a year and many of you have, have been doing that. And as, as we do that, we encourage you to actually read using the SOAP acronym. And what I've found is just great where you sit back and you read a passage and you say, put an S on your, in your journal, scripture. And as you read through the passages, you look for something that God is saying to you this morning from that passage. And then there's observation. God in this verse, what are you saying to me that I should do in my life? What, do, what are you saying? What principles are here that are timeless? And then once you've written down the observations from the passage, just write a little A, which is application. S-O-A. Scripture, observation, application. This is saying, what one thing now will I do as a result? What one thing will I do in my life today because of what you've said in your word? And then prayer, asking God, for the strength and help to do that. People say that, studies have shown that when people engage with the scripture, 
and ask God to guide their lives and live it, they grow enormously. This is a great way to grow in righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. I think not only is it reading God's word personally on your own, but being in groups where you can encourage one another, small groups and gatherings like this where you're encouraged and inspired of things not to neglect in order to grow in those qualities. I think they are important things that will help you continue to grow. So flee from one thing, run to another in order to guard what God has given you. Not only that, Paul continues on and he says, well, also fight for the truth. Fight for the truth and everything. And the word fight kind of has about it an image where, you know, the commentators debate whether it's about a war fight, you know, like language that's used in battle and conflict, or whether it's an athletic image, you know, like we're running a race and we're fighting to win the prize. But either of them are, are, are crucial in saying we need to fight for the truth. Whether it's in battle, we're exerting energy to win the war. Whether it's in an athletic race, we're running with everything that we have to get the prize. And Paul was right saying to Timothy, in the midst of false teachers all around, you must fight You must stand firm. You must be strong to oppose and resist the false teachers around you. You know what? When I say part of what I try and do is flee from all the controversies, it in no way means that I don't understand what the truth of God's word is and the depth of it is as we flee from things that are going to divide us, which are minor issues and, uh, and, and people are free to have different opinions on, we run towards the truth and we wrestle with issues ourselves as we read God's word. So fighting for the truth is saying God's word is true and his doctrines are pure and they're right and we can believe these with all our hearts. So the questions are, when we read God's word, are we studying it? Are we learning about it? Are we saying what it says in in our lives and what it means to live our own lives every day? I reckon it's great to fight for the truth of the gospel. So Paul says to Timothy, flee from evil pursue righteousness, fight for the truth of the gospel. Then he says, do this, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And it seems here that what they're talking about is when Timothy had actually made his confession of faith and been baptised in front of the people um, at at the church when he initially became a Christian. He's saying, you made a commitment to Christ. And when you made that, you received a good deposit of eternal life. You were given the promises of eternal life. Don't wait until you die to take hold of that and live in the reality of it. Grab hold of it now. Experience what it is to live for God right now with everything that you have. Don't just say, I trust in Jesus and wait till I die to have the benefits of it. Eternal life is something that we gain now as we believe in Jesus, but will receive fully when we go to be with him finally. So live it now. 
experience. So can you see what, what Paul has been saying to Timothy here? First of all, he's saying, you know, you need to live in a way where you're living a, a life that is righteous and holy and pure. That's one thing. The next thing, you need to be doctrinally accurate and wise. You need to be theologically correct in the way that you're living. Don't just believe any old thing. You need to believe what is true and right from God's word. And thirdly, you need to experience and take hold of what God is doing now. And boy, there's churches that are all experience and no doctrinal. <laughs> then there's the churches that are all doctrinal and no experience. And then there are those that uh, are all doctrinal and maybe they're not living the godly, righteous life and others that are experiential but not living a pure and holy life. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, if you want to guard the truth and if you want to endure and if you want to persevere to the final realisation of what I've left you there at Ephesus for, don't neglect any of these, the holy life, the pure doctrine, beliefs of what's true in the Bible and also taking hold and experiencing God today with all that you have that way. You will endure. Then Paul sort of lines up Timothy and makes him realise how absolutely crucial it is that he doesn't neglect the things that God has entrusted him with. He says, in the sight of God, you know, like as God watches you and before him as you see him, the God who gives life to everything, the God who is the source and, and, and creator of all things in the sight of God and Jesus Christ who made, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession saying that I am king, I am Lord. I charge you, Gee, this is strong, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. He's saying, what, you, I've, what you've been given, the faith that you have and the calling that you have, oh, before God, before Christ was the King and, and, and Lord of all and declared that, diligently guard what you've been given without spot and without blame. Because Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he wants to find you faithful, strong in your faith, serving him, fulfilling the calling that he's given. And it's going to happen someday. We don't know when it is, but it's definitely going to happen. Christ is going to return and in the twinkling of an eye, he'll come and he'll take those who are his and he'll be looking for those that are serving him faithfully. And it could be any time. That's what he's saying. We know that... Uh, Either two things are going to happen to us as those who are here this morning. There's only two possibilities. One day your life will come to an end and you will die. You'll breathe your last breath. Or Christ will return and he will take us to be with him. And right now, for you and I, that means that we must listen to Paul's words to Timothy to guard what we've been given and, and, and really before God and before Christ to do everything we can to flee from evil, pursue righteousness, to fight the good fight of truth and to lay hold of that which God has called us to eternal life. This is so important that he commands us, he calls us to do that. And then 
as he's doing that, he's saying, as God will bring about in his own time. You can imagine him writing this, as God will bring about in his own time. And then he, he kind of thinks about God as he writes that and says, God who is, wow, who's almighty. Uh, he keeps on and he says, God, the blessed and only ruler. And he's kind of caught up in the awesomeness and wonder of the God who saved us and loves us. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler. There's no other God, uh, no other ruler like God. He's the king of kings. And people would have known all about King David, King Solomon and the incredible wisdom of him and, and wealth of him. They would have known all the kings that had been living in that time. And he said, no, God is the king of kings and he's Lord of lords. There's no one higher than God in authority. He alone is immortal. That means he, he never dies. There's no ending to God. He, he, he has no beginning, no end. He's immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who is so pure and holy and godly that sinful man cannot come before him, let alone overpower him. God is almighty, he's saying, and to whom no one has ever seen or can see. And then Paul caught up in this incredible songs of praise, sort of says, to him be honour and might forever and ever. Amen. Amazing. Paul has such a clear, incredible picture of the almighty, incredible God we serve and the truth that one day, his son will return and it will happen. Church, we forget that, don't we? I mean, so often we sort of are so busy getting our shopping and paying our bills and going off to work and catching up on things and we kind of live as though this is all there is, you know. And every now and again we kind of think, oh, we better just have a look here and there and uh, in the Bible and, and, and see this. And do Paul would say, no, no, no. If there's anything worth guarding in your life, it's not your shares. If there's anything worth guarding in your life, it's not any of the things that you have around you and you see. It's your faith in my son, Jesus. It's your love for me. If there's anything else worth guarding in your life, it's the calling that I've given you because I want to make a difference through you, whatever it be. It doesn't have to be big or small. Uh, it, it, it can be something small that God's called you to do. It doesn't have to be massive and big like, like Timothy's was, but to do faithfully the things that he's called you to, believing that he's coming again, and it could be any time. I want to ask you this morning, are you guarding what God's given you? Are you guarding it? There's so many people who have come to this church and been upset by something or just got busier or just something's happened and they sort of stopped being part of God's worshipping community. Some have turned away from their faith and believed that what they believed wasn't any good. And Paul, Paul sort of says in these last verse of 1 Timothy, that this was happening. People were walking away from the faith, were giving up and were going away. He, he says, 
Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered away from the faith. Church, just want to say, there's a genuine reality that if you don't guard what's been entrusted to you, you're in great danger of falling away. Hear these words of Paul. Flee from evil. Pursue righteousness. Fight the good fight. Read your Bible. Understand what God's truth is. You know, pull it apart. Then take hold today of this faith. Experience it. Live it. Knowing that God's watching you and he's coming again. And may he find you faithful in your faith and faithful in your calling for the glory of God. Grace be with you, Paul says. Grace be with you. All this is not through your hard work. It's through the grace of God who saved you and helped you know him and love him purely. It's not through all this hard striving. It's through resting in the grace of Jesus Christ who gave you what you don't deserve so that you're his and no one can take that from you. So we just now land at the end of 1 Timothy. May you never let go of this gospel. May you live every day living it out in your life and in your calling until he comes again. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that in uh, challenging times, you got Paul to write a letter to Timothy that today still speaks so strongly to us. Thank you, God, for speaking us to us through this book. Thank you for reminding us of the incredible, incredible things that you've placed in us, faith in you and calling. And God, help us to guard it so carefully. Help us to look after and feed and protect and care for this deposit of faith that you've given us. And God, help us to be people who thrive, no matter what the circumstance, to be a church that thrives, no matter what we face, until you return or we go to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In these next few moments, just love you to take your news sheet and out of it, it would be just great for you to get that... Um...